0: Good morning, everybody! It is the drive to school coming at you with another summer school edition. Uh, back with me today is uh, David Zills, who is uh, n- not only an engineer by trade, but he's an apologist. Uh, he- he's somebody who-, who, well, wrestles with the faith, and-, and that's that's an important thing in a world where I don't think it's necessarily brand new that it's it's easy to take it for granted. But I think it's easier to take for granted that there's some stuff to struggle with here. Uh, how you doing today, David?
1: Uh, I'm doing well, yes. Uh, nice that the summer weather has finally hit where I live, so uh, I'm enjoying not being cold all the
0: time. Yeah, the Midwest was a little late to the game, but uh, we made it. That's all right. We're representing. Um, yeah. I kind of uh, hinted at it to start with, but it's it's hard to be a Christian growing up these days, um, especially as you start to, to sort of leave the nest a little bit, uh, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, um, and, and you mentioned, and, and I, I remember that's there's more pushback now, right?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I know I grew up kind of in a Christian Lutheran bubble, up up through my senior year of high school, and then, uh, went to college at a public high, or public college, and, uh, you know, honors program, where ideas and the world of ideas, not just from the Bible, obviously, those might be entertained, maybe, Um, but that was big. And so I I had a lot of anxiety about like, wow, I I can't just take for granted that everybody sees things the way I do. And I think, you know, that was, you know, 16 years ago, and it's just progressed even further. You know, people say we live in a post-Christian culture, which kind of means You know, most people have heard about Jesus in contrast to a pre-Christian culture, but they already have their minds made up about him and they can give you a thousand reasons why it's a bunch of baloney or maybe what you believe about Jesus isn't the real Jesus. And and there's just a lot of of pushback. So I think that's um, something that everybody faces. um, And if you haven't faced it as a young person going away to college and becoming an
0: adult, you're going to face it. Absolutely. And, and it's a challenging thing, especially if this is some of the first uh, couple of times that your faith has actually been pushed on. Uh, it, it's there are We take everything for granted in life. Um, and, and I don't just mean like we should be more grateful, but like if you don't have to constantly test it, you kind of just sort of assume that it's going to be true. Like I've never really just stopped throughout the day and dropped things to check on gravity. Um, and so in the same way, it, you, you can sort of grow up with your catechism saying this is most certainly true over and over again. But if nobody's ever really come along yet and asked is it though um, that first couple of times it it's a shocker um, and you, you end up looking for the word so how do we start to respond to uh to that pushback both internally and externally
1: yeah well i i think uh i think the internal is first um, uh, that was the thing that i realized which gave me the most anxiety when i went to college was it wasn't the questions other people would ask me but it's the fact that their questions would reveal that deep down i still had doubts um, going back to seventh and eighth grade when i started reading about some different worldviews, and um, i think the internal is is the key because it's easy to respond when you feel comfortable But if you don't feel comfortable and someone's questions reveals your uncertainties, that's uh, that's a lot harder. Um, So when I think about kind of the internal, how do you respond to your own struggles, Um, especially as you get into college? I know, I mean, I mean, when I went to college and saw everybody my age going through the same thing, which was, uh, you know, you kind of grow up and your life is given to you. You know, your parents, uh, at least, uh you know, if you have a stable home, which a lot of people don't, but, you know, in a lot of ways growing up, your, your life is given to you and you'd kind of take for granted that, well, this is the way things are. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily choose it. And it's just the way things are. But when you go away and you start living life on your own, all of a sudden you have to say, well, what do I think life is about? Not just my parents or my friends or my, pastor or my professors, whatever, um, ideological stripe thereof, but me, like, what do I think life is about? And there comes this point where I think and it is healthy. It's really healthy. It can be very hard, but it's really important. And you kind of come to this crossroads where you're like, I can't just take it for granted because someone else said, so I need to know for me. And I think, uh, I think there are ways that, I think there are two longings that everybody has about kind of saying what is life all about. And I think they're very consistent with driving us closer in a relationship with God, but there are some lies that our culture, and I think Satan obviously is behind it. There are lies that try to suggest that these longings that we have don't have anything to do with God or our, or our faith they're, they're they're you have to find them out in the world they're not something that you know the Bible speaks to uh, and the two the two longings that I think uh, are really important have to do with truth on the one hand and meaning on the other hand truth in terms of what's real what sources of information can I trust obviously you know and Lutheran's As Lutherans will say, you know, going back to the Reformation, you know, the Word of God is, you know, the source and norm of blah 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 blah. You know, this is the truth of the revealed Word of God. Um, But you know that that is an open question as far as our culture is concerned. In fact, it's a settled question. It's the Bible is most certainly not true. Um, And so there's this truth aspect of what do I trust for guidance about navigating life, and then there's a there's the meaning side, which is what makes life worth living. Like you know, you could have a truth that's very stale and kind of bland and abstract, but you know, at some point you have to live, and you have, you know, things that make life worth living—love and relationships, and and hopes and dreams—and you know, the, I think the two lies that Satan can bring or our culture to detract us from bringing these things to God are on the truth side. You know, there's this idea in our culture that the Bible, faith in the Bible is blind faith. You just have to believe it. If someone comes along and is skeptical, you just have to say, well, you just need faith. And then, which is funny because I actually talked to some Mormons and I said, yeah, you know, I think I need evidence for my faith. And they said, no, you just need to have faith. And I was like, I think that's a dangerous game to play. So, you know, Mormons can say the same thing. So, um, you know, anybody can say you should just have faith. The question is, what is my faith in and how do I know it's real? Um, and then on the other side, on the meaning side, there's this, you. You can kind of go to church and feel like, you know, faith is about being forgiven so I can get to heaven. But when it comes to my real life longings, that you know about what makes life worth living, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about that. You know, it's more about just getting to heaven and making sure that my sins are forgiven. And I think these are very narrow views of faith. These lies try to put God in a box and i think something that's important in navigating this process of going to college and answering for myself what is life all about is allowing is allowing god to be bigger than these boxes and realize no every aspect every longing that he's given me both for confidence and a reliable truth and for something that's worth living that can kind of make my heart sing you know those are those are god given and they're meant to be they're not absent from a relationship with him. They're not something that's like um, compartmentalized off to the side that we have to find on our own.
0: That's a really, I mean, that, that's a lot of really important points and I, I mean just to sort of pause for a minute and actually reflect upon the fact that when your beliefs are challenged you're allowed to struggle with them internally and, and sort of get your house in order before you're supposed to like present a witness to the world that you're actually allowed to wrestle with these things yourself Um, that, that church is supposed to be more than just sort of arbitrary Jesus points so you walk out of the building with the exact same problems you walked in with and all the same comfort to um, the, the idea that uh, other people have faith in other things, and it, it should be something that's true. The idea that the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true um, isn't necessarily the best foundation for it. So, if we're we're wrestling then with with truth and meaning, and and how these two need to intersect in our lives, that means there needs to be a true faith, but there also needs to be a, a relevant faith, a faith that that matters and connects to to what we're after, because we have a God who actually wants to bring us comfort. And a God who won't bring us comfort is not a God who will address our everyday needs. And, and a, a, a comfort that's in something that's not real is not a real comfort at all. It's just sort of a blind distraction that's going to end terribly. Like you can believe with all of your heart that you are impervious to getting hit by cars. But if you play in traffic, that's a bad false comfort. You want a real one, uh, but you also want one that's that's going to make you feel safe in the road. So, so how do we start to deal with then the intersection of, of truth and meaning in a world that is hostile to it?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. I think uh, um, I think one thing is to realize um, is to not separate truth and meaning. You kind of got at this where I think this is something our culture does. Um, truth, objective truth is something that at least when I was growing up, you know, that's science. You know, something that is empirical, experimental. Um, mathematical, quantifiable, that is where truth is. And if it's outside of science, then it's not objective. It's kind of uh, whatever your opinion is, goes. And so sometimes thinkers will call this the fact-value dichotomy, where you drive a wedge between fact, which is knowable, objective truth, and that's where science lives, and then value, which is You know, moral judgments and purpose and things like that. And our society has kind of said, you know, fact is scientific, but science doesn't talk about morality and purpose and the things that make life worth living. And so those are things we're supposed to construct for ourselves. And, you know, however, however we want to do that, no one else can judge because there is no objective standard. And so there's this idea of total freedom to construct a meaning myself. Um, And that drives a wedge between truth and meaning. And the problem with that, like you said, is that if you have a comfort, that's a false comfort, it's not going to end well, you know, it's got to be grounded in reality with who we are with real human nature. Um, But if you have a truth, you know, a scientific truth, or maybe a Theological truth that's just abstract and doesn't speak to the real issues of everyday life, then it might be academically interesting, but like, why bother when the rubber hits the road and life gets hard? And so, I think I think you need both together. I there's this book by Donald Miller that I really like called "Searching for God Knows What," and I, I really recommend that book. I read it at about the a senior and high school age, and he talks about how he he told God as a teenager, that God didn't exist, which is funny because he was telling God that God didn't exist. <laughs> so, um, but he he basically um, had a very formulaic, um, superficial faith that was um, kind of, you know, you check the box. Um, and so as he kind of went and lived life, he realized, um, you know, the, the storyline, the overall storyline of the Bible, not necessarily specific compartments of theology, but the overall storyline actually says a lot about who we are as people. And something he said in that book is this, I believe the separation of truth and meaning is a dangerous game and Christians are guilty of it too. Sometimes we talk about truth as like right and wrong belief and right and wrong behavior. And we don't address, you know, Jesus said, If you follow my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if truth feels like a straitjacket, it's not the truth that Jesus offers. And Jesus said, um, you know, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or in abundance. And so if we don't have this fullness and this freedom, then the truth isn't the kind of truth Jesus wants to offer, which is not only grounded in reality so we can have confidence, but it's also comforting and it actually addresses the needs of, of life.
0: That's fantastic. Um, and there's, there's an old theological term for this too. This was something that we actually wrestled with, uh, even before, uh, all of sort of the modern age. We, we talked about um, in Latin, it's fetus qua and fetus quai. The, the idea that there is a, a confessed faith and a personal faith, and these actually do need to match. So like you can say, I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, just like the, the creed has taught you to. But if you don't actually believe in it, there's no real comfort for you. They're just words. It, it's it They're true. They, they they are demonstrably true beliefs. But at the same time, if there's no comfort in the heart, then then there's no hope. And at the same time, you can have a great personal hope but if it's not going to be founded in something that is real well like i have been to funerals before where people look really really happy and, and you ask like why are you happy and then they tell you what they believe and, and it has to do with crystals and whatnot and you're like oh honey no um i know that you feel good about that but um we actually do want the the uh, apostolic faith to match up with with your faith and that's a faith that actually exists inside of the world so much that it doesn't need to be guarded in your heart. I wonder if um, one of the reasons that that we have sort of personalized this to this like heart faith this this my personal beliefs is that we we don't feel like it actually can stand up to pressure from the rest of the world. And so if I can sort of guard it in my heart, it becomes my heart's job to protect my faith instead of my faith's job to protect my heart, which is bad. But It also leaves a a faith that um, never really can actually stand up to outside pressure, can only retreat.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I know in the American church, there has been a side to American Christianity, not just in the Lutheran church, but more broadly, that has defined faith in terms of personal experience. And it's kind of a strategic move in some ways, because if it's personal experience, no one else can question it. Um, the problem is then if no one else can question it, what happens when you question it? Um, cause if it doesn't stand to scrutiny, you can say, well, is my personal experience valid. is it, is it valid? And what if someone else has a totally different personal experience, who's right. And, you know, are, are we both right? Or are we both wrong? And these are questions that when you overly personalize, it can, it can, um, it can, you can lose the confidence and the objectivity that you need to just have, you know, something
0: reliable to stand on. Right. So if we're kind of wrestling then with truth and meaning with with our faith, if we're, we're sort of at at a a college or a high school where it's getting pushed on, like, what are some questions we can ask to kind of internally reorient and organize ourself?
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, on the truth question, um, where I really got started making traction is by going back to Pontius Pilate's famous question, what is truth? Mm -hmm. And you kind of say, you know, let's not, let's not assume anything about the Bible. Let's not assume it's the word of God. Let's just treat it like it's any other historical book. And this might sound like this is sinful um, that if we don't believe, if we don't assume the Bible is the word of God, then somehow our faith is lacking, but this is actually kind of a thought process you can do that allows you to examine the evidence In the same way anyone might, regardless of their prior assumptions. And if the evidence is strong, it'll back up the belief that, you know, in the New Testament, the portrait of Jesus as, you know, more than just a man and as someone who has special insight into God because he is God, um, if those are things that can stand up to evidence without assuming anything special about the Bible and just letting the evidence speak for itself. That makes the faith in the Bible not something personal that I just have to believe, but it's something that is out there in the world that you can point to and say, see, um, you know, God has made this plain. He's given lots of reasons to back up that the New Testament accounts are the most accurate accounts of who Jesus is. And that therefore, because Jesus is who he is, um, I should listen to him because if he is God and if he rose from the dead, no other thinker you know, Nietzsche didn't do that. Marx didn't do that. Richard Dawkins didn't do that, you know, and so um, that, you know, that that gives us reason for confidence. And, and those are statements that can be assessed using normal methods of historical inquiry. Um, so, yeah, that would be, I think, on the truth side is just. Think about what are the standards for determining truth, especially in the historical sense, because Christianity is a historical religion. It's not a abstract set of ethical um, maxims. Like some 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 religions are more that way, but Christianity is very historical. It's based on events that the Bible claims God did, and if God didn't do those things, then Christianity is false. And so, what are the historical tools that don't require prior belief other than mostly common sense that we can use to look at the historical documents about Jesus in the Bible and elsewhere. And say, you know, what's, how can we make the most sense about who Jesus is given
0: normal historical investigation? That's great. Um, Because, I mean, you got to realize that questioning whether or not the Bible is true was sort of how the early church interacted with it. it. It wasn't that, uh, Peter said, well, all scriptures breathed out by God. And everybody's like, Oh, well, okay. Um, it, yeah, no, that, that, that didn't No, No one
1: else in the Roman world believed that except the Jews and the Jews, um, needed to be convinced that Jesus was, the was the Messiah and rose from the dead. And so, yeah. So I think there was this idea, if you look at in acts, there was a lot of, um, a lot of looking for common ground, you know, with the Jews, they would reason from the Jewish scriptures to say, look, this is what you already believe. Look at how it points to Jesus. And then with the Gentiles, they wouldn't do that because the Gentiles didn't believe the Jewish scriptures. So they would look for common ground with the Gentiles. And they would say, look, this is how you look at life. Let me show where there are holes and things that you already realize are missing that you don't have answers to. And let me show how Jesus provides answers. And by the way, he rose from the dead and we're witnesses of that. So they could point to their actual tangible experience.
0: Right. And and once you establish that kind of truth and that that importance, meaning is going to start to follow, right? So then we can start to ask questions about that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it's good to keep truth, investigating truth, Um prime primary and let the meaning follow from that there's a quote by cs lewis that if you search for comfort you will find neither truth nor comfort but only wishful thinking and in the end despair wow. but if you look for truth it's possible you may find comfort in the end now it's possible that the truth is not comforting you know, it's possible that there is no God. And when you die, everything goes away and life sucks in the meantime, by the way. So good luck, (laughs) you know, or it's possible that there's a God who just hates us. And, you know, so, I mean, it's sometimes hard to separate my desire for comfort with an objective investigation of truth. But if Christianity is true, the good news is that the truth really is good news. It's immensely comforting, way more comforting than anything else, any other ideas really on offer right now. Um, And so I think, yeah, focusing on the truth first, but if Jesus is the son of God, if he rose from the dead, I think there are a lot of things that follow from that, that give a lot of meaning to life. Um, So for example, what are some questions that people deal with today? I mean, I think identity, significance, purpose, um, who who isn't thinking about or talking about these things? And we all answer these things. And even, I think, as Christians, the sinful flesh infiltrates our sense of identity, where my identity is this thing that I can have confidence, and this gives me value. But it's not God. Um, and so, you know, how 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 does the truth of Jesus speak to those things? Well, identity. If we are God's masterpieces, as Paul says in Ephesians two then nobody else can say that we're junk and have any merit to what they say, because the author of all things has said we're his masterpieces. And if we feel like we're not enough and, you know, you look in Romans eight where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How we not also give us all things. And if you feel like you're accused and that you're, you're not worthy. I mean, God has said you are worthy because of Jesus. So I think there are, or, you know, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm not accepted by my friends. You know, the Bible says, even if my mom and dad were to walk away from me, God is so faithful. He will never even do that, even though the people closest to me, who I think I can depend on most, even if they were to do it, God is even more reliable and closer than that. And so I think there are a lot of these things where identity and significance and purpose, they really get back to relationships. Um, and what are what are the relationships that feel like they give us value and love and affirmation? And people can do that to some extent, but if God is who Jesus revealed him to be, then um, that's a huge anchor for when life is hard and people are mean and you know, maybe the job search isn't going well. And you start to wonder, do I have anything to offer? Um, So yeah, I I I think they're very closely related. And the cool thing that gets me excited is that I believe the good news about Jesus stands up to scrutiny as truth. And it also has immense resources for speaking to the aspects of life that make life worth living. And that, you know, we all long for that meaning in life.
0: That's that's fantastic stuff, um, David. Is there any kind of closing thoughts before we kind of wrap up today, and, and we'll, we'll we'll come back to this and sort of see where it where it leads? But uh, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's there's plenty to unpack, but yeah, that, they, that, thank you. I, uh, I I think this is something I'm passionate about talking about on both sides of this. I think you know my journey has dealt mostly with well, can Christianity stand up to scrutiny, the truth side, but. Um, the last couple of years have taught me a lot more about, you know, it's more than just more than just truth. There's a lot about my heart that is at stake in in my relationship with Jesus. And God has a lot that he wants to speak life into that.
0: Yeah. So it's allowed to mean something to you, but it, it, it's also allowed to be true so that it can mean something to you. Yes. That's, that's huge. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.